is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. Nate Collins writes, Until mainstream evangelicalism is able to demonstrate repentance for the sinful excesses of the culture wars, it will be difficult to participate fruitfully in discussions about LGBT matters. It will have one hand tied behind its back, and it will be the hand holding the Bible. Men like Nate Collins should be identified by the church, named, shamed, and purged from the body until they openly repent and come under the submission of a church that insists on purity. Now, if I were to take Collins's comment and place it in ancient Israel and pretend that Nate Collins were a liberal homosexual, progressive, fighting for the oppressed in ancient Israel, his comment might read something like this. Until Israel is able to demonstrate repentance for the sinful excesses of the ethnic cleansing of Canaan, it will be difficult to participate fruitfully in discussions about issues facing the Canaanites. It will have one hand tied behind its back, and it will be the hand holding the Torah. Why, ladies and gentlemen, do our churches ignore the sin in the lives of so many inside our churches? One, because so few of our church members are living a life that can be described as holy, which involves hating and abhorring sin in their own lives. They love it. They have their secret pet sins. They live sinful lives. They don't live pure lives. And they have a very difficult time then with the concept of a pure body. Two, because pastors are in the business of building their own brand of Christianity and not in the business of loving, proclaiming, and defending the truth. It is that simple. If Christianity is anything, if the gospel is anything, it's simple. Throughout the history of redemption, God has either acted or demanded that his covenant people engage in the practice of purging, beginning with Noah, continuing with Israel, right up to the new covenant people, and all the way through to the end, God is the God of the purge. My name is Ed Dingus, and you are listening to The Reformed Rant, a podcast where I rant about the most important theological and social issues of society from a Reformed Christian perspective. And today I'm ranting about the stubbornness of church leaders and churches regarding the biblical concept of protecting the body.
maintaining its purity. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Deuteronomy 20, verses 17 and 18 says, But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for their gods, so that you would sin against the Lord your God. Have you ever wondered why the church has become so negligent of the Old Testament text? Why most churches avoid entering the Old Testament? And why so many people now are starting to openly <clears throat> accept that uh, they really do think that there's a problem with the Old Testament for Christianity. And if you are if you're honest, the way that modern American Christianity or let's say it this way, the way that Christianity is framed by modern Americans who claim to be Christians. And this starts with their pastors. The way that they frame Christianity, the way that they talk about Christianity, the way they define Christianity in the gospel then you would have to say if that depiction of Christianity is actually true, then it is also true that the Old Testament text itself is very problematic for that version, the American, modern, Western version of Christianity. You must admit the Old Testament is a problem for that version of Christianity. There is incredible inconsistency between what most Americans understand as Christianity and what the Old Testament says about God. It is a huge problem for that version of Christianity. We, we come back briefly to the issue of what I opened up with in the Nate Collins quote. If you look across the landscape of American evangelicalism, you see this strong push to embrace the idea that the church has been too harsh where homosexuality is concerned, too mean to homosexuals, um, too um, attached to an idea of masculinity that really isn't anchored in scripture but is anchored more in just a traditional idea. And uh, you, at, you, you have to ask the question, where is this coming from? What is this tied to? And I suggest, strongly suggest, that you purchase Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, because this is really the essence of the issue. Jesus Christ, 
when he said, if you want to be my disciple, what did he say that we have to do? He said, you have to die to self. Now, if you read Truman's book, he makes some interesting observations that are just apps that they ring true when you look at the culture and you look at the church and you see how the focus of the the culture is now on a version of self that is disconnected from any kind of divine framework whatsoever. And you start to see and observe, put the pieces together and observe how the church, the church is not only distancing itself from the God revealed in the Old Testament. You see guys like Andy Stanley talking about decoupling or unhitching Christianity from the Old Testament. Now unhitching Christianity from the New Testament. Basically unhitching Christianity, decoupling Christianity from the Bible, right? Because the Bible presents some real problems for Christianity where modern culture is concerned. This is not unlike what was going on in the Hellenization of the Jews when the Greeks started to accuse the God of Israel of moral atrocities, repugnant behavior. The, the Greeks came up with a way for their own gods to, to get around these accusations of immorality. Allegory. The Jews, in order to embrace, uh, in order to, not embrace, in order to, they embraced this in order to, they embraced allegory, in order to uh, try to paint God in a more, uh, in a more, a positive light, right? This is exactly what's going on in modern evangelicalism now. God must be painted in a more positive light, in a more tolerant light, in a more loving light. And all those things, tolerant, loving, moral, those things are defined by the pagans. See, they define what is moral. They define what is delightful. They define what is pleasant, what is attractive, what is good, what is evil, what is loving, what is kind. They define all of those things. And then Christians who are influenced by the culture, Christians who are influenced by the culture, have to discard that portrait of God that they've lived with for 2,000 years and, and pull out a new canvas. And they are busy right now repainting the portrait of God in a way or with the colors of pagan Western Americans and others in the West, and not only others in the West, wherever pagans exist in the world, Christians in that culture are painting, repainting the portrait of God with the colors from that culture. The pagans are dictating to the church what kind of God they will tolerate. And if it's a God that they won't tolerate, then there will be hell to pay in the culture. This is what's going on. So for guys like Nate Collins, when you, when you, when you from, from a modern sensibility standpoint, you ask the question, well, what about this effeminate 
men nonsense? And what about this homosexuality? And, and what about this gender dysphoria? What should a Christian think about it in their churches? I mean, should we allow these people in the churches? This, After all, I am talking about purging the body from this uh, from these toxins. Well, Deuteronomy 22.5, yeah, there we go, back in the Old Testament again. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Now, when's the last time you heard a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or even a Christian refer to gender dysphoria, homosexuality, cross-dressing as an abomination to the Lord our God? When's the last time they talk like that? When's the last time they use language like that? The, the sermons and the lessons in our most conservative evangelical churches are being stripped of this kind of language. They're being purged of this kind of language. This is how God describes this behavior, and it is, it is incendiary to, to the sinner who not even just to the sinner who engages in this kind of behavior. It's incendiary to any sinner at this point, or most unbelievers at this point, would, he, would read this or would hear you say this and be appalled, appalled at your, uh, your arrogance that you would dare describe this behavior as an as detestable to the Lord our God. Pastors are not preaching sermons like this. This kind of language is completely missing from the sermon, from the Sunday school lesson. Instead, we're partnering with people like this for a common cause. We think it's our job to make the church more attractive to the culture. And so we are, and this is what I mean by painting, we are uh, responding by discarding the portrait of God that was painted for us by God the Holy Spirit, set down on the pages of Scripture. We've tossed that out, and we are busy putting together a new portrait. We are updating Christianity. We're, we are revising it. And you might think you're not doing that. You may think that you still believe homosexuality is unnatural and it's sinful. You may be a pastor and you may think, you may still think this about homosexuality, um, about illicit divorce, um, about uh, effeminate men, about gender dysphoria, about cross-dressing, um, about abortion and all these things, but you never say it anymore. You don't preach it anymore. You don't teach it anymore. You're not standing firm, adamantly thundering from the pulpit these things any longer. And it's not because you forgot how to do that. You didn't. It's a deliberate, calculated decision to avoid using this kind of language to describe wickedness in our culture and in our churches. We will all stand before God and give an account for the decisions we make and the reasons we made them. Every pastor, every Sunday school teacher, every elder will stand before God and give an account 
for why we are no longer using the language of Scripture to describe the wickedness that we see in our society and in our churches. Instead, we're, get, we're joining hands with these folks. Deuteronomy 22.10 says, You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. We are filling our churches with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with, with, with Baal? Or what, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. I mean, we're joining hands with the pagans uh, in causes against abortion, uh, in <clears throat> causes that protect our, our, our freedom, critical race theory, Marxism, we're joining with atheists. We're, and this is easy to, this is what happens when the church, when, the, when there is no boundaries set around the church, or when we, we place these boundaries that we think are boundaries, we know they're not really boundaries. We've got our finger behind, our hand behind our back with our fingers crossed over. It's a wink and a nod. Anyone who wants to join our church we never say no. We always let people come. We always bring them in. Always. Genesis chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the initial act of God to purge. This is the initial act of God to purge. He purges the earth of the wickedness of humanity and essentially starts over with Noah and his family. He has favor, grace on Noah. God is a God of the purge. He does not tolerate the foolishness of man. And it is time for the church to purge itself of this new message it's been carrying for so long now, of its false converts uh, who have brought into our ranks all of the false gods of the pagans. The covenant people are commanded to purge. You go back and look at the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them. Show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons. You shall not take 
their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the Lord, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. You will, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, uh, and hewn down their asherim and burn their graven images with fire for you are a holy people to the Lord your God and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's sobering language. This is the duty of the community, the covenant community, to purge itself of the pagans. Exodus 34 Verses 11 and 12, be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going. It will be a stare. It will become a snare in your midst. Uh, wow. This is sobering language. Now, a smart aleck might... Uh, who is in love with philosophy and the sound of their own voice might accuse me of the slippery slope fallacy. How would I respond to that? Well, <laughs> I would say this. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods, according to Exodus 23, 32. Uh, they shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. When you tolerate soft views on homosexuality, when you embrace views that are anything less than the standard, anything less than God's view, you place yourself on a slippery slope. Now, if you want to accuse God of committing a logical fallacy, be my guest. If you bring pagans into your church, they're going to bring pagan ideas with them. They're going to reject the revelation that God has given us in Scripture. They're going to subvert the teachings of Christianity because they are pagans and they serve false gods. They will infect you. They will infect your children. They will infect your Sunday school teachers. They will infect your elders and your pastors. That's what happens. That's how it works. That's what God said. The fact that so many of our pastors and elders and churches take church membership so casually is one of the most arrogant, one of the most arrogant things we could ever do. It is a display of pure arrogance to think you can just receive into the body of Christ whoever wants to join. That's the attitude. That's Americanism. That's individualism. That's we are in charge and God is not. That's the attitude. Well, God purged in Noah's day. He commanded Israel to purge in their day. And we come into the New Testament and we are supposed to purge. Matthew 18, 15 through 18. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. 
if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. What if he doesn't? Then you don't tell it to the church. What if he repents? Then you don't tell it to the church. You don't tell it to anybody. You've won your brother. We've got this turned so far upside down on its head it isn't even funny. We think somehow that we have the right now, even if a brother does show an attitude of remorsefulness and repentance, we're still going to blast it out to everybody, make sure everybody knows. That is not our right. That is contrary to what Jesus says here. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Throw him out. Now, I can't tell how many people we have in our churches who are in sin, living in sin, practicing sin. We don't do this. I said this to someone even in my own church a few years back, and they were appalled that I would make such a suggestion. And I was absolutely appalled that they had never read Jesus on this seeing how they've been in the church for 20, 30 years. You've been a believer this long, and you do not know the basic teachings of our Lord on the purity of the body. That's not just an indictment of you. It's an indictment of everyone that has called yourself your leader. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talked about purging. He said, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or idolater, reviler, drunker, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? That's who we judge, not outsiders. They're outside the church. God's already judged them. We judge those who are inside. And then what does Paul say? Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Do we do that? Are we doing that? Are we communicating to the wicked man that we believe he is a wicked man? Are we calling their faith into question? Are we calling their profession into question? Or in the name of love and being nice, are we tolerating it? Yeah, the attitude is today, you know, we all sin, we're all sinners. Who am I to do this? Well, you're not a believer. You're not a follower of Christ. I can tell you that's who you are. Followers of Christ will do this. They will read this and they will respond positively to it. People who do not follow Christ will read this and ignore it, which is a decision to reject it. It is a conscious decision to reject it. It's not a mistake, it's a deliberate act of rebellion. 
We think our sins are weaknesses and mistakes. We're not perfect. This is how we like to think of ourselves. No one's perfect. Everyone has weaknesses. Everyone makes mistakes. We take that and we go on about our business of practicing sin every day, living our lives according to the lusts of our flesh and our eyes and the pride of life. And these people are allowed in our churches and they are not held accountable. They, there is no demand on them to order their lives and their confessions, their beliefs, according to the teachings and the commandments of Scripture. And if you have no appetite for that, you do not love God. This is how we know we love God. We have an insatiable appetite to order our lives according to the teachings and the commandments of Scripture. If we are missing that, we are missing the love of God in our lives. Why do so many churches refuse to engage in purging? It's simple. They don't love God. They have no interest in that. If you love God, you're going to be absorbed in His Word. It will be a priority for you. I see Christians every day running out to church, running out to worship service with their, their uh, the, the, you can, certain songs that are emotive in nature, in nature top to bottom, uh, are, 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 we sing them. And they do the, the gyration and the dance. It's like a nightclub almost type environment. It's not over the top. In some cases it is. But there's dancing and there, we throw up our hands and, 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 and you know, we, we may even cry because we're having an emotional response to music. But I can ask some of these people who've been in church for 15 years and they don't even know Matthew 18 exists. They've never practiced it. And if they do know it exists, they ignore it completely. But they're going to go to church. They're going to throw up their hands. They're going to dance and, and sway and bebop to the music and have an experience. Get their Jesus fix and go on for another week and continue in their ignorance and in their sin. And no one says or does a thing about it. If you are absorbed in God's word, head to toe, you will take God's word seriously. That's what it means to be absorbed in it. I don't mean studying it from afar. I mean absorbed in it. I mean you're in it and you're in it to live it. That's why you're in it. You're in it to live it. You're not in it just to know it. You're in it to live it. God's word very aggressively rebukes and denounces these immoral behaviors and toxic beliefs in the churches. If you love God, you will take the same position regarding these beliefs and these behaviors that God takes. You will embrace God's position. 
You will embrace God's point of view on these things. You won't ignore it, and you won't find excuses to reject it. And you won't come up with all this, this subjective interpretive nonsense to say, well, that's just your interpretation. You're just looking for excuses not to embrace God's position on something. That's the fact. If you love God, you will love his church. If you love his church, you will fight for its purity. You might look, you might say to me, but I'm not fighting for its purity. Well, then you don't love God. I don't care what you feel. I don't care how many services you, you walk into and throw your hands up and shout amen and sway to the music and dance and bebop to the music and cry. If you are not taking a stand for the purity of the body of Christ, it is because you do not love God. No one who loves God hates the body of Christ. No one. God purged the earth in Genesis with, with the exception, exception of Noah. God commanded his covenant people to purge the Canaanites from the land. They didn't listen and there was hell to pay because of it. God has commanded his covenant people under the new covenant Jew and Gentile alike, to purge, purge its community. Keep the leaven out. We are failing to do that. There is a final purge that's coming. If you're not a Christian, there is a divine summons that's been uh, dropped in the mail. It's coming. It will arrive at your doorstep sooner or later. You will give an account for what you did with God. Did you acknowledge him as your creator? Did you order your life in a way that it was purely designed to image him and be like him, to embrace his positions, to, to, to be absorbed in his point of view, to be absorbed in his teaching and his commandments? to embrace his word, to take delight in his view of what reality actually is? Or did you reject it? Did you create your own reality? Did you come up with a million and one excuses for why you have the right to interpret reality according to your own whims, according to your own self. There's a final purge coming, Revelation 21.8, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, there will be in the lake of fire, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation twenty two fifteen. 15. This is New Testament, folks. 
outside. Outside. Or who? Outside are, are really good people that if they had just known, uh, if they'd just been, if they'd just heard Christianity presented the way that it was supposed to be presented, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't be where they are. No. Good, tender, kind-hearted people who were just, they were not perfect. They just, they just made mistakes, lots of mistakes. No. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Dogs. This is what John called them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what God calls them. This should motivate Christians to do two things. To be passionate about the 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 purity of the body and to be passionate about preaching the true gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world inside the church the preaching of the gospel, the equipping of the saints should be so intense that it drives pagans away. For the most part, you're not going to drive them all away. There's always going to be some false converts that are going to hang around. But if you're doing your duty as a believer, those numbers should be kept to a minimum. There's always going to be this group of people who claim to know Christ but didn't. God will deal with them in the end. They're going to hide their sin from you. There's going to be false versions of Christianity spring up. But inside a true body of Christ, that's where our concern is. Inside that true community, you protect the confession, you protect the morality of the body, the purity of the body. We would say this is also, what, April the 4th? And it is Resurrection Day. A Gerthe Apaton. Necron. He has risen from the dead. He has risen indeed. Amen. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com
daddy didn't like trouble But if it came along Everyone that knew him Knew which side that he'd be on He never was a hero For this county's shining light But you could always find him standing up For what he thought was right He'd say you've got to stand for something Or you'll fall for anything You've got to be your own man Not a puppet on Hold your family name You've got to stand for something Or you'll fall for anything 